When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky LeBlue, the associate editor of TechSideline.com and your Virginia Tech football beat writer. We're here for another full episode of the TSL podcast. It's North Carolina week. I'm here, as always, with my bosses and friends and co-workers, Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. These are the two guys that make the whole operation work. Chris, how are we doing today, buddy? Doing well. How are you, Ricky? I am doing very, very well. I'm in a brand new TSL pullover, which Will Stewart finally got for me. I'm really excited about it. It's extremely comfortable and quite stylish. So thank you, Will, for actually getting that for me. You're welcome. I'm I'm doing great today, too, because on Monday, instead of writing my regular article, I just copied from somebody else a couple of paragraphs and... (laughs) and I got an A. The fans loved it. Oh, man. We're definitely going to get into to some UNC stuff. And obviously, in case you didn't know, the NCAA came out with their ruling uh, last week. I believe it was on Friday. Is that right? Is, is that when it came out? I think it was Friday morning, yeah. Yeah, I believe it was Friday yeah. early morning. So we will hit on that. But but first, I want to go ahead and, and, and talk about some upsets last week. Obviously, Tech did not play. And if you think about it, it was probably a good thing that they didn't play at least for Tech fans, because there were a ton of upsets last week, big upsets. Obviously, Clemson goes down to Syracuse in the Jiffy Pop Dome, 27-24. Uh, Cal beats Washington State 37-3, an absolute shellacking. Uh, then LSU beats number 10 Auburn, 27-23. Arizona State beats number 5 Washington, 13-7. I mean, those are some huge, huge upsets. Those are what? four top 10 teams falling and friday night particularly was weird you saw two unbeaten teams go yeah, on the road and yeah. lose to a three and three football team yeah i mean and it's not like that that either of those teams syracuse or cal are any good i i thought syracuse had a decent chance to beat clemson because clemson's quarterback was hurt i mean i mean i said well, once I said their quarterback the, went out it made sense but well i thought before then um I, I said on the radio last friday i said i would not play kelly bryant if he can't run because he's no good. If he, I mean, if he can't yeah, run, he's yeah, not going to be able to do anything because he's not a good passer. Yeah. And he had a play in the first quarter of that game where he rolled right and he could barely move, and you could tell he wasn't healthy. And and if he had been a healthy quarterback, I, I don't think he would have taken that hit and gotten knocked out of the game later on. So, I mean, like I said, I wouldn't have played him. And and they played him, and he got hurt even worse, and, and they lost the game. Well, does that frustrate you at all, the fact that Clemson came in here, and, and even though they, they, they didn't dominate Virginia Tech on the scoreboard per se – they kind of just handled Virginia Tech pretty pretty efficiently, and and then, you know, Syracuse is a three and three team and isn't going to do much in the ACC Atlantic this year. They get Clemson at home and they end up beating them. It's aggravating, you know, but but kind of the way I look at that that Virginia Tech Clemson game at this point in time is, you know, I've I've written that Clemson's played a lot of big games and they geared themselves up for that game. It was a big game. It was primetime Saturday night, and Lane Stadium was foaming at the mouth. It's easy to get up for that game. Yeah, even if you are the road team. Then you roll into the Carrier Dome, and I should have done my research to see if Clemson's ever played there. You go into the Carrier Dome, there's 40,000 fans, and, yeah, they're a little geared up for you you because it's a Friday night, but it's just not the same. 
You know, there, there wasn't the buildup. And so Clemson, yes, they had some issues. Kelly Bryant was hurt, but they just didn't go in ready, you know. And, and we've experienced that many times over the years. Last year, I think Tech felt like they could just go into the Carrier Dome and, and show up and win. I don't want to put thoughts in the heads of the yeah. coaches and yeah. players, you know. But I, I thought if, last, if there was any year last year where Tech should roll, that'd be it. And no, they didn't. They got flattened instead. I mean, it, it happens at that place. Tim Settle got asked this week, I can't remember who asked the question in the interview session on Tuesday, but he was asked what makes it so difficult about playing at Syracuse. And he basically said that, you know, it, it's it's like 100 degrees in there. And he said that, that that itself can take a toll, especially when you combine with that that Syracuse loves running 80 to 100 plays a game. So if you yeah. are a big defensive lineman like Tim Settle, it's it's kind of hard to do that. I've never been in that building before, um, so I can't comment on the temperature. But if the temperature is a little hotter than it normally is in a dome and you're on the field for 100 plays like Virginia Tech was last year, and I think Clemson's defense was on the field for over 80 plays the other day, then, yeah, that's going to take its toll. And, and if you look at that game last year, you know, Tech got down 17-3, to but they came back and tied it up at 17 and then just couldn't stay in it in the fourth quarter, and that's when they got worn out. And, and then all you have all those other upsets that week, so it's probably a, definitely a good thing that Tech did not have to worry about playing an unranked team who's 1-6, you know, at, at home. So Tech won't have to worry about that. Maybe the bad juju was gone. I go. Oh, did you? So have, I, yeah, I was going to say, so I'll tell you what, what I'm going to start paying attention to in the future okay. is how many of these upsets start happening in week six and week seven? Because teams – I think at that point are looking forward to their bye weeks and not really looking forward, but they are in need of them. You think Clemson could have used the bye week last week with Kelly Bryant gimping around? Definitely. <laughs> sure. If they play that game this weekend instead of last weekend, what happens? You know, and now Virginia Tech, you saw the way they played against Boston College. They weren't sharp. They won and they won handily, but they weren't sharp. And we've written a million times this week, the bye week came at the right time. Um Maybe that's an element there that you're seeing. Like you, you look at Washington State and Washington State. I've, I've I've written about them. They're doing it with smoke and mirrors. They they have the smallest budget in Power Five schools that you can research publicly. Out of the 50 schools you can find information on, they're last. They're actually ranked 55th in uh, 2016 revenue, I believe, which is the most recent figures available. Yeah. And that's behind three AAC schools. Washington State has no money, and yet they managed to build a team up that was number eight in the country, you know, and and so that kind of team in particular can't sustain, in my opinion, it's not like I review all their recruiting and all that stuff, they can't sustain that sort of excellence over a long period of time without a break, is my theory. So this is something I'm going to pay more attention to in the future. And I think it's worth pointing out to, I know a lot of people complain about the Boston College game and how Tech played and everything like that. But the bottom line is they won the game on the road by 13 points in front of 30,000 people that were making no noise, which is something Clemson could not do at Syracuse. You know? Yeah, or, or, yeah. Even you though know, I think that Syracuse had a bit of a better it, atmosphere. It did. Yeah. It, they certainly did. But, uh, you know, you saw four top ten teams go down to unranked opponents, and Virginia Tech went on the road, and they didn't look sharp per se, but, but they took care of business and won the game by 13 points. And, what if that's the worst Tech looks all year? What if that was a Tech's bad game? I mean, it probably won't be, but it's possible. It, it could be. Yeah, yeah. So last year, I don't remember the way the schedule played out last year. I know Tech had a bye and came back and stomped UNC. Mm-hmm. Did they lose to Syracuse? The very next week. The, well, it was the next week, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
but you're halfway through the halfway through the regular season if you're Virginia Tech, and they haven't really played a stinker yet, you know. And and they got the bye weekend, so let's see how things go this week. Definitely, uh, let's go ahead and put a wrap on that. I do want to talk about obviously the the, the UNC academic stuff. For those who aren't really familiar with the situation, I'm not going to you know get, get, go too into the weeds here. If you're really interested in about how everything kind of worked broke down and what all the accusations were, you can go ahead and find it online. There's plenty of resources for that, but obviously the, the, there was some thought that UNC was going to get sanctioned at least a little bit, uh, and then on Friday it was announced that the NCAA, quote, could not conclude academic violations, which is a little questionable to say the least. Will, you wrote a, a obviously a big part of your Monday thoughts on this, and I know that you have some passionate feelings about this, and I know Chris does as well, but Will, I want to go to you first, just your overall kind of feelings thoughts you know what's going on in your head when you see this kind of ruling well there's there's not a lot i can say about the specifics of the case you know um they had these fake classes where they had a lot of athletes enrolled and they they got a's for not doing much very little work very little work these were no show classes you know everybody knows the deal you can go read it the papers were quote unquote graded by a secretary so, you know, the facts of the case are well known, and the ruling doesn't surprise me because it was one of those situations where you could see it coming a mile away. The NCAA had actually hinted at it a year or two ago before they reopened the investigation that they couldn't really, uh, you know, for lack of a better way to phrase it, they couldn't really get over into the academic side of the house at North Carolina. And you could kind of see this coming, that uh, the, the phrase I always like to use is, in the court of law, and this was not the court of law, it was the NCAA bylaws. In the court of law, it's where the law is served. Justice may or may not be served, but the law is always served. And in this case, the NCAA bylaws were served. They, they decided, you could tell by the way they worded their ruling that they really wanted to drop the hammer on them. They just couldn't do it according to the letter of their own laws. You know, I thought it was really interesting because when they were building their case for this, the whole thing was they were building it as an extra benefits case. And and personally, I feel like that wasn't a bad way to go about it because you can you can try and quantify these, these fake classes, these academic benefits, as impermissible benefits. And the justification that they used for not classifying those as extra benefits was that these classes were open to the entire public, even though these athletes disproportionately made up a way yeah, higher was, percentage it, it of these classes. 47% of the, yeah. uh, of the students in the classes were athletes, even though I think there's something like 3% of the overall student body. Yeah, and they were, exactly. They were steered to those classes. There was a lot of documentation of that. Um, so one of the things I like about this and that sounds like an odd thing to say. There's something good about this? I have missed, since Virginia Tech joined the ACC, and, and we've talked about this before, probably on this podcast, since Virginia Tech joined the ACC, um, what's missing is the rivalries. You yeah, know, that they yeah had we have in the talked biggest, about that. Yeah, they, they had some real rivalries, rivalries with Miami, West Virginia, Syracuse, you know, and, and that's been missing. UVA's faded. Tech's beating them 13 times in a row. So you're just kind of looking around for a rivalry, and and this, you know, I know a lot of Tech fans were already there. They already hated UNC. I wasn't quite there. You know, I, I got a lot of contempt for them from the Butch Davis, and we're talking football. Yeah. From the Butch Davis years where they, you know, 
I didn't like Butch Davis from his days at Miami. Butch Davis know? and John Blake, who I got a, a crash course on yeah. last week. Yeah. Ricky got an education on John Blake. I would <laughs> love to talk to Justin Fuente off the record about John Blake one day because he played – he was a quarterback <laughs> at Oklahoma under John Blake. Yeah. Anyway. So, you know, finally I got something as, as, an, as a – I'll say it as a fan. I've got something as a fan that I can really sink my teeth into. I don't just want – we always want Virginia Tech to win – but I really, really want Virginia Tech to win on Saturday. It, it, it really matters to me. And get this, it matters to me more than the UVA game. Interesting. You know, uh, let's, let's carry out a little justice out there on the football field. Chris, do you kind of feel the same way at this point? Well, I've always felt that way about UNC. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you've always kind of had I grew a, up an hour from their campus, yeah. and there's just so many bandwagon UNC fans down there where I'm from that I've always had an extreme dislike for them. And <laughs> the thing about bandwagon UNC fans is they look down on you even though a lot of them didn't even go to UNC. They, they'll, they'll throw the whole academic, we're better academic oh, school, on you, even, though, even when they didn't go there. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's really ridiculous. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've never liked them. Uh I, they're probably the one school I kind of struggle to say say stay impartial about probably, but uh, like I don't you know UVA is tech main is tech's main rival, but I, like I don't have any like hatred for UVA or anything. You know, if I had a kid, I'd let him go to UVA. Uh, you know, you I, know? I did back in the day, back back right. when it was a real head to head rivalry in the eighties and nineties. I right. I really hated those yeah. guys. Yeah, know? I guess it's easier to hate someone when they're good. Well, that and I, I feel like there's there's never been a and correct me if I'm wrong, there's never been a prevailing thought that the UVA program as a whole was dirty. No, no, no absolutely not. not. Whereas no. with UNC, I, I don't know when this started, but I feel like there's been a prevailing thought for quite some time now that there were certain aspects of the entire program, not just the football program, yeah. that have been shady at best. So there's nothing worse than somebody who cheats and skirts the rules and, gets and, away then, and then looks down their nose at you. Yeah. So right. let, let's go down into the SEC. Do you really think any of this we're better than you stuff goes on down there? Yeah, they talk about it on the field of play, but it's a big wink, wink, nudge, nudge down there. You know, they all know that they cheat. Yeah. You know, except maybe Vanderbilt. You know? <laughs> right. Poor Van, or, or maybe Missouri. Maybe. And, and, and so I, I just not that I, not that I'm well versed in SEC rivalries, but I can't really see any of the SEC schools looking down each other, looking down their noses at each other in this fashion. You and know, playing the whole holier than thou card, and, which uh, is when you're not, which, when you're certainly, which not. seems like yeah. what you guys are referring to is the holier than thou yeah. type mentality. Yeah, you know, and for older Tech fans, it goes back to 1983. 83, yeah. When Virginia Tech went 9-2, and two, but was left out of a bowl game. And they, they were going to be matched up in a, what was it? The Peach Bowl. The Peach Bowl against North Carolina. And North Carolina had so much political power in college sports and the bowl scene back then that they just, they refused to play Tech. And yeah, Tech they, 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 to, they essentially told the Peach Bowl, if, if you match us against Virginia Tech, we're not coming. Yeah, because they, they, they thought Tech was beneath them. So as a Hokie fan, you would prefer the Peach Bowl to go, okay, too bad for you, we're inviting Virginia Tech. Yeah. But no, of course they did the opposite. Oh, we got to have UNC, yeah. so I guess we won't invite Virginia Tech. Right, exactly. And, and who'd they play, Florida State, and got their butts kicked? I think so. I think yeah. that's who it wound up yeah, being. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, so it's just never been a fan of that institution. And they voted against expansion. Yeah, I remember that. Now, now that I'm actually okay with because they were against expansion. Sure, they were against Virginia Tech. They were against it overall. But they were against expansion in general. Two major questions that I want to ask here. Number one, does this ruling 
maybe open up Pandora's box a bit. Uh, where, where now it, you this kind of sends a message across the the college athletics landscape that you can create some some paper classes that are that are even easier than the easy classes at any university and yeah. and you don't have to fear any NCAA uh reprimand. Well, the thing is now you know exactly how to do it. You know. You yeah, can, exactly. You, know? you you the blueprint has been laid out. So does this kind of open up that is this a slippery slope? Yeah. Most most institutions, I mean, the, the the creation of these classes has to come from the academic side of the institution. And the vast, vast, vast majority of universities will not partake of that sort of thing. I don't remember exactly how it got started at UNC, but it wasn't with the knowledge and approval of the higher ups, is my guess. Um, if you were gonna if you were gonna start something like that from scratch, it would all have to be talked about and agreed upon and probably documented. Right. And that's just too seedy, even for. I mean, I can't think of a university that would where the administration would do that in the, well, in the name of football. Th- right. This was not really a necessarily an administration thing at UNC. It was a rogue professor and a and a rogue secretary, basically, that were friends they, of the program. They, they backdoored it on the university You're as right. a whole, and once all this started happening. That was the leg that the university chose to stand upon with their lawyers, but a, I yeah. but I can't. They were coming at it from the back end. I couldn't see them coming at it from the front end like that. Yeah. The second question I wanted to ask was: Does this situation make the NCAA almost useless in terms of keeping teams, you know, upholding some sort of standard of academic integrity? Because uh, to, personally, to me, it feels like it does. I'm trying to figure out. Somebody on our message boards, I believe, used the phrase, well, the NCAA is really good at holding championships, and that's about it. Um, You know, really. uh, I mean, there are so many things that we hit the NCAA on for for them, you know, whether it's punishing a kid for having a YouTube channel or, or, you know, or something along those lines. And then for them to to have a chance to, to drop the hammer on somebody for doing something as shady as this. And to not do it, it almost feels like the NCAA has kind of it's just a little useless at this point. At least in well, terms of trying to keep an even playing field. You got to remember that the NCAA is is the schools. Yeah. Um, look, if the schools disapprove of how the way the NCAA handles things, then eventually they would just fire the NCAA and set up a new governing body made up of also themselves. Well, there's also been talk about the NCAA. Um, working on their bylaws, putting in, putting in a vague morals clause, right. You know, that they could use where you don't have to, you know, where, where, you know, listen, this really smells and looks bad and we can't do anything about it according to the rules, but we're going to invoke the morals clause. This violates the morals clause. Now, if you put something like that in, you run the risk of them still pandering to the blue bloods and dropping the hammer on San Jose state and schools like that. You can, you can apply a morals clause heavier in one case than you might in another. yeah. Yeah. So there's some risk there, but, uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't know what the answer is, but as Chris said, it has to come from the schools themselves. Yeah. So, you know, everybody always chases the money. And as long as the money's flowing in, the schools aren't going to say anything. And uh, everybody talks about how the, the, the only damage UNC took here was in the court of public opinion. Well, so what? That's not going to stop people from buying tickets. It's not going to stop them from going to NCAA tournament and going to bowl games and that sort of thing. Your average fan doesn't care. Yeah. If, if there ever comes a day, and I'm not going to hold my breath for this, where this sort of stuff 
leads to a decline in the money, then maybe you'll see some action occur. But as long as the spigot's open and the money's flowing, I just don't see any change. Everybody's still lining their pockets. Let's go ahead and, and move on from that. I do want to talk about North Carolina recruiting because Virginia Tech is obviously, and we've covered this on Tech Sideline in a myriad of ways, whether it be on the message boards or in articles or whatever, we've talked about how Virginia Tech is going to have to continue to recruit out of state more. And one of the easiest states to recruit out of state is North Carolina. And Chris, you've done a lot of research on this and talked about this more than than Will and I have. Uh, For those that haven't gotten all of that education, what are some of the biggest benefits for recruiting the state of North Carolina in terms of Virginia Tech? Well, there's more talent in North Carolina than than the state of Virginia. First of all, um, the state of Virginia talent has dropped off. You know, I look back to those... 1992 through 95 recruiting classes and then I, and then I look at the 95 and 96 Tech UVA games and you know there were over 20 players on the field for those 95 and 96 games who went to the NFL just from the state of Virginia and and that doesn't even count the guys who didn't go to Tech or UVA from that era like yeah, guys right. like Dre Bly that went to UNC yeah yeah you know stuff like that I mean uh, there's just more talent in the state back then and you, you go back and look at like the top 10 from the state of Virginia and like the starting around 2010. And yes, I mean, there've been some players that have hit, but overall the state is not as deep as it used to be. And there's been a lot of busts. Um, uh, and, and I just, you see some of the demographics in the state of Virginia where, you know, the population is dropping in Southwest Virginia. So the chances of finding your Jake house rights and your Thomas Jones down there, those chances are, or dropping off. Or even, uh, even the Barbers and Lee Suggs. Right. I, I mean, Roanoke football is not what it used to be anymore. I mean, they split Cave. I saw Cave Spring play back Blacksburg a couple weeks ago, and Cave, Sp- Cave Spring is just not what they used to be, man. They've split that school in half, basically sent part of them to Hidden Valley. Uh, it's just – I just think Roanoke is done as a football powerhouse. And, you know, Richmond, it just seems like so many kids from Richmond these days don't qualify. And uh, I just don't think that there's – that recruiting this state when there's so much competition in the state right now, you still want to recruit the state. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't need to be the backbone of your program like it used to be because there's one, not quite as many good players as there used to be, in my opinion. Um, And two, there's more competition. So uh, it just makes sense for Virginia tech to, uh, to rely mostly on out of state recruits these days. How much does the location play an impact? Because obviously, Tech's, if you look at Blacksburg, it's not close to yeah. the 757. It's not close to Northern Virginia. It's not close to Richmond, but it's pretty close to Greensboro. Yeah. It's pretty close yeah. to Charlotte, that, and that, it's not far from Raleigh. That certainly plays a role, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of players in those areas. Uh, it's not the biggest thing, though, because, I mean, you know, Cleveland Farrell's from Richmond, and he went to Clemson. Josh Sweat and Derek Nadia are from the 757, and they went to Florida State, and Virginia Tech is closer to their areas than those schools they chose to. So location is not everything, but it is pretty telling about how far Blacksburg is away from the main parts of Virginia that it's quicker for recruits from North Carolina to get to Virginia Tech than it is recruits from Virginia. Yeah, and I can speak on that firsthand. I'm from Virginia Beach. You you know, when I was coming to Virginia Tech as a student, that's a five-and-a-half-hour drive, depending on traffic. And, you know, you, Frank Beamer used to talk about this six-hour radius. Well, Virginia Beach is barely in the six-hour <laughs> radius. Yeah, barely. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, you know, uh, uh, 
a, a big change in in the building of the Virginia of the Virginia Tech program under Frank was when he find, when and Jim Cavanaugh has talked about this with us before when they finally got the players from Richmond and the seven five seven to drive down sixty four and drive past Charlottesville and keep driving, um, and that's I think the pendulum was almost swung back in the other direction where one of the things we talk about in recruiting is that with social media and the teams being on television so much, a kid no longer has to go quote unquote close to home for his parents and friends to be able to interact with him and even see him play. Um, so that's kind of off the board now. Now you go down into North Carolina and what, what you're competing with down there, um, you know, Wake and Duke aren't really big factors in recruiting the state of North Carolina. Duke, I don't know. Duke's been able to pull in a few. Yeah, um, and, and I shouldn't say that because if you look at recruiting rankings right at this moment, Duke is almost recruiting as well as Virginia Tech is. Um, Technically. Not I, don't, quite. I, don't, I don't know what it looks like when you look at Power 5 offers. Yeah, but, yeah, and how do they match up and yeah. all that stuff. But when you look at the teams on the field, though, I just I still don't see. But, but let's – so – you wind up in these high-profile recruiting battles down in the state of North Carolina to some degree with NC State, but to a larger degree with North Carolina. And what you run into down there is there's not a football player alive who's going to go from the state of North Carolina who's going to go to UNC because they have a good basketball team. But he more than likely grew up from the time he was six, seven, eight years old watching UNC basketball win championships and play in Final Fours, and he became a UNC fan in general. Not UNC football necessarily, but UNC yeah. in general. And then you butt heads against that about going to a school, yes, to play football, where the kid's been a fan since he was little and maybe not so much really paying any attention to Virginia Tech. we got to go back to the Dre Bly story. Uh, Dre, I believe, was in the class of 1996 from Western Branch High School. Maybe a little earlier than that uh, because – anyway, go ahead. Yeah, anyway, uh, Western Branch High School out in Virginia Beach uh, – Lou Johnson was his head coach, and Lou sent a lot of players to Virginia Tech throughout the years. And I interviewed Lou a couple of summers ago uh, about about his career, yeah, and, and specifically about recruits and things like that. And you know, Dre was favoring Virginia Tech and everything like that, and then went on his last second visit to UNC, and they put him, they introduced him to Dean Smith, and he met Dean Smith, and then he committed to UNC to play football because he met <laughs> Dean Smith. I mean, that, I mean, that's how this Dre always preferred basketball over football, even though he wasn't a very good basketball player. He's just one of those guys who liked basketball better. So when he met a guy like Dean Smith, he was starstruck, and he went to UNC, even though UNC, even though Dean had nothing to do with his future football career. That's but, crazy. But that, that's yeah, crazy, but that's how 17-year-olds think. Something I, I, I wanted to ask you guys is, obviously, North Carolina has um, ingrained the Jordan brand into their athletic programs now. They don't wear Nike logos. They wear Jordan logos, which obviously is still under the Nike uh, umbrella. But it's a different logo. It's a different brand. Do you think that that plays a, a, a big role with, with 16- and 17-year-old kids, football players? That's a good question. Um because, I mean, even though I don't think it should, I do believe it does play a role with some. I, uh, it could, um, uh, especially in that state where Michael Jordan is just so huge yeah, in that state. Yeah. You know, whether you're a football player, whether you're a basketball player, or whatever. And, and let's be honest, most a lot of these football players also play basketball in high school. And uh, quite, a lot of, quite a lot of them like basketball more. Um, so it probably plays a role to a certain extent. I mean, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, I don't. I doubt that very much that UNC would have 
switched from the regular Nike brand to the Jordan brand, and unless they thought it might give them a, a little bit of an advantage, unless they knew it was going to work, gonna, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but you know, Virginia Tech really can't, for instance, go on the recruiting trail and brag that that's where Michael Vick went to school. Never mind the stuff that happened after he got in the NFL. Yeah. He was a great college player, but that was a long time ago. And how long has it been since Michael Jordan retired from basketball? A long time ago, but but and but he's regarded Vick, as the best. Michael Vick wasn't Michael Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Michael Vick was an extremely good player in his own right, but Jordan uh, is widely considered. He's the, almost universally. The you, you could of say he's time. the greatest yeah. basketball player of all time. I mean, you, you could say he's. You could make the argument that he's the greatest, the biggest icon in American sports history, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, certainly in the second half of the twentieth century. Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously other names you could bring up, but he's definitely like that. But he's definitely in that in that upper echelon. Yeah, there are are several big recruits that that Tech is trying to get out of the the, out of the state of North Carolina. One of them, obviously, is KJ Henry, a five star defensive end. Chris, do you feel comfortable at all that? That, that Tech will be able to... I feel comfortable that Tech will finish in the top three. <laughs> it probably Seems like to be a Clemson trend also, over the last few he's years. He's considering Clemson and who else? Alabama, Virginia Tech, Georgia. I think Georgia is is faded a bit, okay. but I do think that Clemson is... I forget the other school like in his top five, but I really think it's Virginia Tech, Clemson, and, and Alabama would be his top three. We were told earlier this year that, that KJ really loves just about everything about Virginia Tech, but mm-hmm. that he views them as the, the safe choice. Not not big time enough. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. KJ Henry is a, is a huge-time recruit. He's a five-star kid. He's got offers from almost every school in the country or whatnot. So... What does Tech have to do to kind of break through that that ceiling there, where they can be seen as big time enough? They got to win ten games a year for four or five years in a row with an ACC championship or two. He's got to be able to know that he can win championships uh, if he go if he goes to Virginia Tech. And and honestly, I mean that that's I think there's certain schools that are always going to recruit around a certain level, and. Uh, for Virginia Tech to, to break through in this day and age of recruiting, and, and you know, I, I think if I think when you look back in the early two thousands, I think if you brought all those recruits right now and put them in the camp setting and everything right now, then I think Virginia Tech was probably recruiting at a top fifteen level around that time period. Their hit rate was very high. Their, 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 was, their evaluation yeah. was excellent. Yeah, it, it was it was outstanding. But but now it's easier to evaluate because you got all these camps and everything like that. Uh, so Virginia Tech has to – they can't rely on finding under-the-radar recruits anymore. They have to beat the Clemsons and Alabamas and, and, te- and teams like that straight up. And, you know, to do that, they've, they've got to win. They, they, they've got to win for multiple years in a row and show these guys that, that they have a chance to be an elite program. I mean, K, you know, K.J. Henry, put yourself in his shoes. He didn't grow up a fan of anybody. He's You know, his dad was a longtime coach at Wake Forest. I, I just think when you, you're in his shoes – you can go to Alabama, where it's just proven that they put tons of defensive linemen in the NFL. You can go to Clemson, where it's proven that they put tons of defensive linemen in the NFL. Or you can take a chance on Virginia Tech, where they don't put tons of defensive linemen Which in the NFL. Which two years ago was a 500-ball club. Sure. You know, and it's still trying to work their way back. Exactly right. So, I mean, it's not, I don't blame him. I mean, yeah, I, it's if, hard if, to. if I grew up completely neutral, not a fan of anybody, I would probably do the same thing. See that's that's what was so unusual about the recruitment of Cornell Brown was mm-hmm. that was that Cornell 
wanted to go somewhere and build something, be a part of building and, something. And but and those well, kids are, you and, know. And, and honestly, here's another thing. That re- recruitment came down to Virginia Tech in Maryland. For Cornell Brown. Cornell Brown. I'm, I'm friends with a couple of his friends who played at Tech, and, and one of them was in, grew up in Lynchburg with him. And uh, that they swear to me straight up that, that Cornell was, was Maryland. So public perception is that it was Virginia Tech and UVA. Yeah. But people who knew him say that it was Virginia Tech. And, and Maryland. Just like Jim Cavanaugh says to Michael Vick, really the competition for Vick wasn't Syracuse. It was East it was Carolina. It was East Carolina, right. Yeah. And, so that's and, interesting. I've always heard Maryland was uh, was that for Cornell Brown. And, and, you know, and Cornell was the number three player in the state. And guess what? These days, the number three player in the state isn't deciding between Virginia Tech and Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, yeah he's deciding between Clemson and Florida State. Penn State, and, Ohio and, State exactly. now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that's how the game has changed so much over the last 20, 25 years. So if you're Virginia Tech and you want to elevate your profile, it, it begins with things that this coaching staff is good at. This is a really smart coaching staff that game plans very well. And the other part you have to do well is you got to develop well. You know, you have to have a good strength and conditioning program, which is more and more difficult these years because everybody's got a good strength and conditioning program. Mm-hmm. There isn't. It's harder know, to stand out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's harder I mean, to separate yourself in that. But But you have to develop players over time. And, like, you look at when Wake Forest won the ACC championship, what was that, 2006? Yeah. They had two or three really exceptional players and a lot of good players that they had developed over time. Now, they they are not in a situation where they could maintain that. You know, and Jim Grobe figured that out after banging his head against the wall for a few more years. He's like, you know what? Uh, You can't do it here. I got really lucky with one or two classes, but, yeah. With Curry and and, and those guys. So, um, you know, but if you're Virginia Tech, you got to – you got to do it with hard work, smarts, development, and then try to add in the exceptional players. Mm-hmm. Let's try and take a, a more UNC-focused look on North Carolina recruiting. Tech is obviously recruiting against them for several guys in the 18 class, KJ Henry not being one of them, but Dax Hollyfield is another one. Uh, how important, Chris, do you think it is that, that, that Tech is able to get Dax in the fold? I don't think it's all that important as long as they get Keyshawn Artis. So yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Which, I, which is certainly not a guarantee. It's, it's not, not a guarantee. Uh, neither is. I, I, neither is. Um, I, I think they have a better chance at Artis at this stage. But to me, I view both those guys as the exact same player. Um, if you read the ESPN scouting reports on both of them, the scouting reports are almost for virtually identical. For those um, who don't know who Keyshawn Artis is, he is a uh, linebacker at Oscar Smith mm-hmm. High School in uh, Chesapeake. Yeah. And he's he's not rated as highly as Dax, right? But I think Chris and I are in agreement that they're relatively the same player. Oh uh, yeah, they're relatively the same player. I think uh, Keyshawn's probably is two inches shorter than Dax, but he's about two hundred thirty pounds. Uh, if you look at his strength tests and everything like that, uh, he, he's a physically gifted player, and so is Dax. I'm not taking anything away from Dax, but you don't need two mics in this class. I mean, if if you can get one of those two, then it's fine. Now that. It would help certainly help Virginia Tech's perception in the state of North Carolina. I mean, Virginia Tech yeah. already has five commitments from the state of North Carolina this year. By comparison, they have two commitments from the state of Virginia. <laughs> I don't think old school Tech fans would have ever predicted that. I mean, Tech never recruited North Carolina before they joined the ACC. Remember? Very almost nine. Who was yeah. the Hinton kid in like two? The Michael Hinton. Michael Hinton. And then Corey Holt. But I think Holt didn't commit until after uh, after they officially got, got the ACC invitation. Could be. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think why people perceive Dax is so important is that he's a high-profile, late-committing recruit. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I think I think Tech fans, if, if you're going to recruit the state of North Carolina like they want to, it's great to get the guys they've got. Trey Turner, for example, is a great prospect. But he didn't stay in there a long time and build up a lot of hype around himself. He committed relatively early. Tech, uh, tech fans and coaches are looking to win one of these high-profile state of North Carolina battles over UNC, preferably. You know, yeah. to say we have arrived, we're here. You got to deal with us recruiting in this state. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this weekend is it's kind of like North Carolina weekend in Virginia Tech recruiting. Yeah, so. if you look at their their well, the, at least the kids that we're expecting to visit. Yeah, the the, the guys who were going to uh, visit officially, all five commitments from the state of North Carolina, four of which had UNC offers, are going to visit. Dax will be here. KJ Henry will be here. And, and you know, a weekend like this isn't necessarily about. It is about those individuals, but but it's even more about you know Trey Turner, the, those those three guys from Greensboro being able to go back to Greensboro and telling their friends, man, I went to the Tech UNC game this past weekend, and Virginia Tech's way better than UNC, and and KJ Henry going back to Winston Salem and t- telling his friends the same thing and, and things like that. So so when you bring all the recruit, this is seven of the top 22 recruits in the state of North Carolina by ESPN's rankings. You bring that many guys on campus on one day, you know, it's not just about that. It's about continuing to build momentum in that state over time because players talk to each other. As we transition into previewing this game, which will be Saturday at 3.30 at Lane Stadium, how important is it for Tech to start beating UNC on a consistent basis? Maybe not to beat them 13 straight seasons like they've beaten Virginia, <laughs> And Virginia has obviously fallen off, but maybe maybe on the way back a little bit this year. How important is it for Tech to start winning these games against UNC regularly? Well, Tech's record since entering the ACC against UNC is ten and three. So that's, I mean, that's a pretty impressive record. Yes, but, but over the last couple seasons, it's been. I think it was twenty twelve where UNC beat the Hokies down in forty eight thirty four. Forty eight thirty four with that awesome running back they had. I forget his name, but when uh, he won Gio- them- Giovanni no. Bernard. Once Giovanni yeah, Giovanni Bernard. Bernard yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was 2012. Tech won in 2013 and 14. And the, UNC won in 2015. Tech which won. was Frank's so last you're, game. You're talking. It's it's a tech, Tech's three out of the last five. It's essentially a toss up. Right. Um, you do need to it kind of uh, established uh, dominance is a strong word. You know, um, let's win four out of every five or seven out of every 10, you know, get that going and establish that you're clearly the better program. Yeah, you don't have to win 13 in a row, but like you said, four out of five is a, is a pretty good number to shoot for. And that will show you over time. That would show that you are the better program. Uh, whereas the last five or six years have basically been crap shoots. And I think if you go back to the beginning of 2012, Virginia tech has a better overall record than UNC by three games, but, UNC actually has a better ACC record than Virginia yeah. Tech going back to 2012 by three games. So put your put yourself in the shoes of Dax Holyfield or somebody like that. Uh, you know, 17-year-old kids, you know, they don't necessarily have the the benefit of wisdom and, and experience and things like that. All they see is those last five years. And to a guy like Dax, Tech and UNC are the same program because, honestly, over the last five years, on the whole, they have been the same program. Now, I think everybody in this room right here realizes that one of those programs right now has a brighter future than the other, but that's really hard for 17-year-olds who haven't spent their lives covering the sport and thinking about it. it. It's really hard for them to understand, especially when they got recruiters in their ear all the time. Yeah, Yeah. when they got got good salesmen, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, from both sides. Yeah, definitely. Let's go ahead and move on to the uh, North Carolina game, which, as I stated, is this weekend – what uh what channel is this going to be on again? 
for ESPN two, ESPN ESPN two, two three thirty. Yeah, three thirty. Obviously, we can't really talk about this North Carolina roster without referring to the amount of injuries that they have. I mean, obviously, they were trying to replace a ton of talent coming into the season anyway. I think they had six players drafted off of last year's team. Yeah, but it, when you look at the amount of injuries, Chris, what's the number officially up to now? The most recent <sighs> like I found was 15, uh, at least that are out for the season. Yeah, that sounds about right. There's Maybe the, 16. I don't yeah, know. there's about 15 to 16 yeah. players out for the season. And like there's another the four or five players that are uncertain for this weekend, and a good handful of those guys are starters. Yeah, and you know, I, I was going to do a section in my preview today and list every single injured player with his injury. But, like, this morning, or was it last night? It was this morning when I looked it up, and I couldn't find, like, one article that described all one, of UNC's one injuries. One comprehensive list. One comprehensive list. I mean, I you know, there's the, there's a space-limited newspapers these days, right? And there's so many injuries, they don't have time, they don't have room to list them Man, all. They, yeah, they yeah. can't even fit them all. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but there's a lot. And here's what had needed to happen for UNC this year because they, they knew they were going to struggle at quarterback. When you bring in Brandon Harris from LSU, who was a pretty bad quarterback at LSU, when you bring him in to compete for your starting job, you know you're hurting at quarterback. So what needed to happen is they needed to stay healthy and they needed for their defense to, to continue to make strides. And neither happened. Their defense has been bad and half the team's hurt. I mean, think about it. I mean, they got around 20 players that have been hurt at various times. I mean, that's like one fourth of their. I mean, one fourth of their scholarship yeah. roster. I mean, teams never have exactly 85 scholarship players. Yeah, uh, so it's roughly so a quarter of your team. Right, and then you throw in the fact that a lot of those freshmen are, are redshirting. You know, it's really like a third of your team is out with an injury. It's just uh, it's, it's a bad situation for. Them. Well, and they're getting ready to play their eighth game in a row. They yeah. haven't had. A, they don't get a bye week until. I looked it up. I think it's in November. They've got a Thursday night game in November, so they're going to get a Saturday Ooh, off they don't even, that. They don't even get a real bye week. They don't get yeah. a true bye week, yeah. you know. So it's got to be getting very difficult for them physically and mentally at this point, especially now that you're one and six. You know you're not going to compete for the Coastal title, and you are one game away from not even going to a bowl. Chris, at the beginning of the season, and I wrote this on the game preview that we published yesterday, on the uh, when you look at the beginning of the year, UNC and Virginia Tech were roughly similar teams, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive end. Had to replace a quarterback, had to replace skill position players, had to replace a couple offensive linemen. But now, just to see how the the, the different paths that the, that that these two teams have taken, it's kind of remarkable to see the difference. I mean, Virginia uh, Tech is fighting for a Coastal Division title, and as you mentioned, Will. Carolina is probably not going to go to a bowl game. I think there's there's three big differences between the teams. Uh, number one, Bud Foster. You know, UNC has a lot of defensive players on their roster that Virginia Tech wanted to play for defense for Virginia Tech. Yeah. Yet they're playing defense for North Carolina, and the Tar Heels are ranked, uh, you know, like ninety something in total defense, eighty second in defensive efficiency. So I think Bud Foster has a lot to do with it. Obviously. The health of, of each team has had a, a lot. Even though Tech does have their injuries, but, it's by no means the same level as sure. Carolina. Exactly. Um, everybody has injuries at this point in the season, but Carolina's rash of injuries is kind of unprecedented. Uh, number three, I, I think when you compare Justin Fuente to Larry Fedora, you know, Fuente's NFL quarterbacks and his non-NFL quarterbacks, they've all pretty much put up the same stats throughout his career. They're all pretty good. The, yeah. At uh, least as college players. Right. It's like... No matter who he throws out there at quarterback, they're very productive. I think Justin Fuente's offense 
makes the quarterback. Whereas it a takes a good quarterback Fedora's to make offense. Fedora's offense, and Fedora doesn't have a good quarterback. So those are the three differences I see in the team right let's, now. Let's hit on those quarterbacks really quick, because obviously Brandon Harris, the guy you mentioned, started the season uh, but was benched. That was against Cal, right? I believe it was the first game of the year. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Harris was benched for Chas Surratt, who's a redshirt freshman. Surratt overall hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been very good either. He's got six touchdowns to three picks. He's completing just under or just under fifty nine percent of his passes, but Brandon Harris is completing fifty one fifty one point seven percent of his passes. Played all of the last game versus UVA, correct? He did play the ge- that game, and he has UVA. one touchdown and six picks. Yeah, that's not good. In this day and age, when you're completing, that's not good at all. You know, when you have a one to six touchdown to interception ratio, and you're only completing fifty one percent of your passes that's just hard to believe in this day and age of college football that that's even possible and i I, they were saying that surratt was ill last week or recovering from an illness and that's why uh harris started harris is still listed first on the depth chart this week even though it's a or or situation it's like harris or surratt if surratt's available i don't see any reason why fedora should not play him Harris is in his last year, right? He's a graduate transfer. Yeah, graduate transfer. Um, Surratt's a redshirt freshman. Not, right. You're not going to make a bowl. you got to build for the future at this point. Plus, I mean, Surratt's been better. He hasn't yeah, been yeah, great, but he's he has a 2-1 to one touchdown to interception ratio as opposed to a 1-6 to six ratio. <laughs> and he's completing about 7% more of his passes. So, I think... Uh, I, I think that's a no-brainer to me. I'd, I'd be really surprised if we saw some kind if of Harris. shuffle or if, or if Harris started, started when Surratt was actually available. That, that wouldn't make much sense to me. Yeah, and the, the other thing that's obviously plagued UNC this year has been their defense. They're not very good at all. They're 96th in scoring defense, average, or giving up a little over 31 points a game. They're 114th in total defense, giving up 460.9 yards per game, so not mm-hmm. quite as bad as East Carolina. But, <laughs> but their defense has obviously held them back this year, and obviously not having a good offense, that right. defense is kind of magnified. Yeah, it, it has, and, and they're not they're not as bad as their traditional stats indicate, 114th in the country. They're, they're 82nd in S&P+, Plus, which is a advanced stat, which covers efficiency and things like that. Uh I think they're they're bad in the traditional stats because their offense is so bad and, and yeah their offense the their offense is not helping it's them. not helping their defense at all I mean I I watched part of their game against Notre Dame and their offense didn't pick up a first down until midway through the second quarter I yeah. mean and, and when you're on the field it's just three and out every time and then you're a defensive player I was like oh my goodness I mean what are you gonna do I mean people talk about getting tired and things like that it's not necessarily a a physical thing. Sometimes it's just a mental thing. When you get out on the field and you know you have no chance to win because your offense can't can't pick up a first down. I mean, it's very easy to let down mentally in those. Situations. Yeah, it's this, kind of, this sounds like the Boston College. I was just going to say here. that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to where the fact that you know once you give up seventeen points, you're out of it. And yeah, exactly. And you know, Virginia Tech was pretty conservative with their play calls towards the end of that Boston College game, but they knew there was no chance. There was no chance Boston, Boston College, College was coming back. back. Absolutely, and. uh and at that point, Cam Phillips is hurt, and you're just trying to get back home without anybody else getting hurt. So to to, to be fair to North Carolina, which is so important to me, um, <laughs> they have they've had a schedule that's um, I'm not going to say it's a hard schedule, but it's it's 
I think it's fair to say it's been harder than Virginia Tech so far. Yeah, absolutely. They opened with Cal, and they lost to them by five, and then they played Louisville and lost by 12. Then they played Old Dominion, pounded Old Dominion, and since then they've played Duke, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, and Virginia. And that's, again, that's not murderer's row. But it's it's relatively tough. Yeah, you know, are, Is it fair to say that all those teams are probably going to go to bowls? Uh, at, at this point, Other I think it is. Cal has won four games. Yeah. Louisville's Other than four. ODU, probably. Actually, ODU, Matt, ODU, I don't know what ODU's record is, but yeah. yeah. So they've, then they've got Virginia Tech and Miami, and then they have Pitt, Western Carolina, and NC State. Uh, so they might get two wins schedule. there late in the year, but they're probably not going to uh, beat the, NC the Pitt, State. The Pitt's a toss-up. You know, if Carolina at best is probably only going to win one ACC game this year. I mean, this is a pretty bad football team. Maybe Larry Fedora saw the writing on the wall before before the season because there was a rumor he was looking at the Baylor job. There, yeah, there, there certainly was. And, and, you know, I think one of my biggest – well, I'm not going to call it concerns because I'm not concerned about North Carolina at all. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I think is an issue with North Carolina is I think half the battle is, is confidence and morale. And they can't have much confidence. Their morale can't be high right now. I mean, Chas Surratt said after the Notre Dame loss, direct quote, I don't know how you fix this. Yeah. Man, that's a yeah, and, and, and that's a pretty we, dark quote. We live in a day and age where it's just generic player quotes after games. Well, we got to execute better. Oh, and, we just got to get back and work hard. And work, you know? Yeah, yeah. We just, just got to work harder. Scott Leff would always say it's three plays here and it's two plays oh, there. And Frank Beamer created that phrase. Yeah, way before Scott did. <laughs> and and, and uh, lost our leverage, things like that. But anyway, <laughs> for him to actually say that after a game, it, it's kind of telling to me. Kind of a defeatist play, play, attitude. Correct. Um, players normally do not put that type of attitude on display for public consumption. Let's go move on to the overrunners. Obviously, we didn't have any overrunners from last week because there was no game. So we're going to bring them back, obviously, for this week. Um, the first one I want to talk about is Sean Savoy. It'll be his first game back since, obviously, the tragic loss of his brother. He, there's a chance he might be the best receiver available for Virginia Tech in this game. Mm-hmm. Cam Phillips' status is unknown. C.J. Carroll's status is unknown. Philip Patterson is back at practice, but we don't know when he's going to play. We don't know what James Clark's situation is. So there's a good chance that Sean Savoy might be the guy, and that's kind of it. Yeah. I originally wanted to set his over-under at 80 receiving yards, but I'm going to be a little bit more ambitious and set this at 100 Ooh. because he did have 130-plus yeah. against Boston College, and UNC's defense is worse than Boston College's defense. So, Will, it looks like you need a bit more time to think about it. No, nah, I'm going to go under. You're going to go under 100? Under 100 yards. Okay. You know, if you told me definitively that Cam Phillips was not going to play or any of those other guys weren't going to play, I might say over. Um, but I, I, I think I think Phillips is going to play. That's my personal opinion, which will cut down on Savoy's target. So I'm going to go under. Should we amend this and maybe do either Cam or Sean Savoy? 100 yards? Somebody goes over 100 yeah. yards. That's, that's One fair. of those two guys? I mean, Cam was going that, over 100 yards basically every week earlier earlier in the season. Yeah. Will? Is that fair? Uh, so what, what do we do? We're doing one of those guys going over 100. Yes. I'm, I'm still going to go under because this is going to be Drake Dulius' breakout game. <laughs> He's going to hog a lot of the targets. In <laughs> All right, Chris, are you going to go over now? Uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of inclined to think Tech will spread it out a lot. I'm still going to stick with under. 
Okay, I'm going to go over because I think there's a pretty pretty darn good chance that one of those guys is going to get over 100. Good, we get we can differentiate. Yes, 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 unlike the previous week where we <laughs> all took the under on every single question. Um, the second one I want to do is interceptions for UNC. They've thrown a ton of them, obviously, this year. We don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback, uh, whether, it's Surratt, the quarterback's gonna be. whether it's Chas Surratt. Whether it's Chas or Brandon Harris. I'm going to set this at one and a half interceptions by Carolina, picked off by Virginia Tech. Will, go ahead. Hmm. It's really tempting to go with the under because I'm, I'm not sure that this is about North Carolina as much as it's about Virginia Tech, which, um, you know, I think Bud might disagree with this, but Tech hasn't been bringing a lot of pressure on the quarterback. That was actually a topic of discussion this week about how they, the coaches feel like they're bringing pressure. Yeah, and Bud said, yeah, but we they're did. Not Bud and Charlie said, yeah, we did. But we're, they're just, not we're just not making the actual sack. Um, hmm. Having said that, I will go with the homer pick of over. You're going to go over one and a half turnovers. <laughs> uh, interceptions. Yes, yes, excuse yes. me, interceptions. Um, I would have to go under because I'm not convinced that Harris is definitely going to be the guy. If I thought Harris was going to play, I'd go over. But I think Surratt's going to play. That's just my personal opinion, unless his illness was just incredibly bad. And he's only thrown three picks in his six games. So, mm-hmm. so I, I've got. To, I'm going to go ahead and go under. I'm going to go under too. I think it'll be one. I, I'm pretty sure whoever starts will will at least throw one pick. And I do agree that it'll be Surratt. All right. Now let's clear this up, just in case. What if their starting quarterback throws a pick and they do something crazy like a wide receiver pass that gets oh, picked off? Okay. Are we going interceptions by quarterbacks? Fine. She, okay. okay. Yes. Right. Interceptions yes. by quarterbacks. Yes. We'll go interceptions by right. quarterbacks. I just wanted to. I just wanted to make that clear. But you wouldn't want me to skate on the technicality. That's right. You would hate for that to happen when we're <laughs> oh, playing North man. Carolina. Oh man, the UNC references in this podcast are great. Uh, but yeah, because we'll, we'll, I mean, we did include Josh Jackson's interception. Uh, against Boston College, where we thought it wasn't a tip pass. It was a tip pass. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, so we included that. So we do have to include all quarterback interceptions. But if it's a wide receiver, if it's C.J. Carroll out there throwing a pass, right. we're not going to include gonna that. Not going to count that, okay. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this episode of the TSL Podcast. Remember, Virginia Tech and North Carolina play at 3.30 on ESPN2 at Lane Stadium. We will have full coverage from that game, including photos, Quotes after the game, game notes from myself. Will, you want to jump in? I think it's only fair that I say that my tutor did my voiceover for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I can say with full confidence that I did my own voiceover for this one, because I think Chris will will agree with that one. Again, that's all the time we have for this one. We'll have a mini podcast after the game uh, this weekend, and then we'll be back next week with a full episode of the TSL podcast as Tech either looks back on the North Carolina game positively or negatively and prepares for Duke. But again, that's all the time we have for today, folks, and we'll see you next week.